Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, uh, brother, we have uh, a topic today that is well known. It's talked about all the time. I think it's a good topic. Um, it is the topic of homosexuality. It's been talked about a lot. Our culture is inundated with it, and it's right on the heels of uh, a law that just got passed in uh, Canada. Yeah, and, and there's also uh, legislation in Lafayette, uh, Indiana, that they're trying to push as well. And uh, in case uh, those of you guys out there who don't know, Lafayette, Indiana is where um, I, I think it's Faith Bible Church, and, and they're one of the most well-known biblical counseling centers um, in the nation. Um, they have a lot of uh, well-trained uh, people out there, and they've developed a tremendous uh, counseling ministry to the community out there. So while it's uh, directly affecting our brethren in Canada now, it's already a threat in places like uh, Lafayette, Indiana, and uh, and I'm sure if it were to get past there, it's going to spread to other parts of the world. So, yes, a very important topic. Some people may ask, uh, why do we emphasize this specific topic? And I don't think we've had a dedicated podcast episode to it uh, yet, but um, a lot of people ask, why do conservative Christians, uh, so to speak, talk about this all the time? And I, and I would say this, you know, it's not that we think that this is like um, the unforgivable sin or that like the premier sin in, in all of the scriptures above and beyond all other sins, we would say that um, all sin is sin. Um, and yet at the same time, this is the one that I believe is placing the most pressure on the church, especially pressured for people to compromise. And, and it's one in which you have to think in terms of both what do you believe in terms of what the word of God says, and, and what, uh, what do you believe uh, should happen politically? And, and, and the two are two different discussions. All right. So, um, having a belief in one area doesn't mean that you enforce it in another area, but that's uh, that, that's something that I think all Christians need to think about and contemplate, especially when it gets into voting issues. Yeah, I mean that's a good word, brother. And I think it's important, you know, that we do answer the question for for folks, you know, why isolate the sin, and you stated that really well. I, I we just have to recognize that now there is a particular sin that has been elevated above others in our culture, um, right? It's been isolated. It's been, um, you know, elevated. It's been changed. It's no longer considered a sin in the culture or taboo or, you know, there was once a time where um, it just that it was an unacceptable conversation to even have in the public. Yeah. Um, and now it's not only celebrated it's not only been removed from the category of sin, but now uh, if you are not supportive of it, you're actually demonized. Um, and, and so it makes sense to speak to something that is so prevalent in our culture. And we would do the same thing if pick any other sin, uh, if it were elevated to the status of yeah. homosexuality, we, we would do the same thing. And in fact, in history past, the church has often had to deal with particular sins that were elevated in in their culture yeah and uh, 
the ages change, um, and yet uh, we remember from Ecclesiastes that uh, really nothing changes. So, things would appear to change on the outside, but really the heart of man is the same from age to age. But in different ages, you're right, it's uh, different sins that will come to the forefront and and really be pushed upon. And and homosexuality, uh, let me just say this, this is not, you know, we we talk about often the the secular world talks about it as if there have been scientific discoveries and, and uh, we have new ways of thinking, we're more advanced and, and all that. This is an age-old issue that has been there from the beginning. Uh, you can go all the way back to Genesis and see the issues of homosexuality. You can see them clearly referenced, uh, for instance, in Romans chapter 1, as Paul talks about it. He talks about it in other letters as well. Um, so, this is an issue that has been a temptation to man and, and, and those within the church uh, for for ages. Um, and so, this is nothing new. we got to go back to the scriptures, hold to the truth in terms of what we believe there. And, and especially now, because it's one thing if the world does something, um, but it's another thing if the world tries to force the church to do the same thing. And then that's really what we're looking at right now. Um, you know, unbelievers are going to sin. We understand that. And uh, the, the government is there as a minister of God to, to help enforce what is good and to punish those who do evil. But we understand that um, we're not here for behavioral modification. You know, it's not like um, by voting a certain way on a certain topic, you suddenly are going to save a bunch of people. That's not the case at all. So, we understand that uh, there is a spiritual realm that is addressed specifically by the gospel, um, but when the world starts to encroach upon what the church can and can't do, um, that's when we have to take notice. And and if no other time before, if, if there's no other time that you're going to stand up for truth, that's the time you've got to stand up for when the world is attacking it and, and, and trying to force the church to comply with the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, this is an issue of um, what God calls sin. We, you know, we call sin what God calls sin. Um, no, no government, no, no other agency, not even does the church apart from Scripture have the right, um, you know, to decide what is and what isn't sin. God alone has that, and we have all of that in a book, um, as Tom Askell would say. And so, um, I, I th- and I think, you know, as we go along on the topic, we should say that there is good news for the homosexual, and the good news is that he can be redeemed and saved yeah. from that sin. Um, and, and we don't want to make that very clear, but we've got to call it sin. And I think, um, it, you know, we're doing this uh, uh, this episode um, it coming up uh, this coming Sunday. It's the 11th now, so this will go out today or tomorrow. Uh, this coming Sunday, on the 18th of January, there will be pastors all over Canada and all over the U.S. who are preaching sermons on biblical sexuality. Um, and uh, there are lots of reasons for that. Uh, but it, our culture, the Western culture, I mean, not just even American culture, is so inundated and obsessed with sexual perversion um, that we need to make a stand. Now, Canada uh, is at the stage where, well, as of last week, last Saturday from today's date, um, it is now illegal to do anything the government would deem conversion therapy, and that would include things like calling someone to repentance from homosexuality. It's actually punishable by imprisonment uh, up to two years, depending on uh, their parameters. And so, um, it's not unreasonable to assume that we are headed in that direction, and I think it'd be foolish 
to disregard that. As you've said, there's already cities who are looking at, if I'm not mistaken, there are already states who have passed various versions of some sort of conversion therapy, even within the U.S. And so uh, it's coming. And I think um, if we can't stand when it's legal and it's easier to stand just because there's a little peer pressure, um, I wouldn't expect to be able to stand when it's illegal. Uh, But we need to do that. But there's a greater reason for all of this, right? Um, It's actually uh, you, you damn the homosexual to an eternity in hell by minimizing the fact that the lifestyle is sinful. Because if we... If we, um, if we justify their sin, then it becomes something they no longer need to be saved from. Um, and, and so if we hate homosexuals, then, um, then that's exactly what we should do. We should condone their sin. But if we love them, just like every other sinner, then we need to call them to repentance. And we can't wait until the government says you can no longer do that, um, right? And so we need to make it clear because our culture is inundated with it. Uh, speak to that, Eki. Yeah, I think of the book of Judges, uh, you know, and there's this constant moving of the goalposts in terms of what is and is not acceptable. But when you think of the book of Judges, the book of Judges covers a period of um, approximately about 400 years. And from and basically what has happened is that Israel has taken over the promised land. God has said, okay, you got the promised land, you've got my law, now go and keep the law in the land. And what happens is that they don't. Um, and then each generation, they rebel, they turn to idolatry, They um, then God sends them into the hands of their enemies, they cry out to God, God sends a deliverer, the deliverer delivers them, they obey while the deliverer is alive, and then when the deliverer dies, um, the next generation after that gets worse than the prior generation. And at the very end of the book of Judges, in um, I believe chapter 17, the very last verse says, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's what happens when you start to move the goalposts. And we even see that in a secular sense. Uh, I mean, we, we see that well, what is defined as, as, um, as good and evil is even being moved uh, constantly in, in a secular sense. We, we see that in um, many cities where, for instance, um, crimes that uh, were once punishable with, uh, with imprisonment, um, now they're let go, um, often with no time served at all. And in those cities where we've seen those goalposts move, what, what happens? Well, lawlessness increases. Um, you, know, you see more thefts, you see, you see more homicides, you see a lot more danger being um, presented to people. And if that's true in a physical sense, it's also especially true in a spiritual sense. And, and so we want to be able to hold down what exactly is sin. Otherwise, if we move the goalposts, we're essentially doing what the Israelites did in the book of Judges. And by the way, when I mentioned the Israelites, that's only by way of example, because we are all of the same nature in our heart. But we essentially do what they did, which is basically doing what is right, what is right in our own eyes. We put ourselves into the position of God, um, pronouncing to God what is right or wrong, despite what he says is right or wrong. And so in this case, you're right, homosexuality is right in that uh, kind of that bullseye zone where it um, it's very clearly a sin, um, but we are now being pressured into saying it's not a sin, and, and not only that, but even celebrating it, which we've seen a number of churches do. Um, there are churches that will ordain um, homosexual ministers. Um, they'll fly the you know the the multicolored uh, flag in front of their church, and and so we we see that happening, and that's encroaching upon the church, and so it is 
very important for those churches who are faithful, who trust in the Word of God to make their stand and be very clear that this is an issue that we cannot compromise on. You know, if the world does it, it's one thing, but if they're trying to force the church to change in order to accommodate what they think is right or wrong, now it becomes an issue of obedience to God. Yeah, absolutely. And so, brother, let's just ask some of the questions that come up. Uh, I mean, both from maybe newer believers in the church or, you know, guys who are still just learning or certainly questions that we get from the world. Um, And one of the simplest questions to answer is, well, the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality. Uh, There's a plethora of passages, right? Let's just pick one and go there because there are a multitude of passages uh, that you well, can go to. Yeah, you, you know, I, you bring that up, and I, I think of um, J.D. Greer and um, Ed Litton. J.D. Greer, the, the last president of the SPC, and Ed Litton, his, the one who followed up, um, they both made uh, almost identical statements about uh, we need to whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and we need to shout about what the Bible shouts about. And, and when I first heard that, uh, that Mr. Greer had made that statement and that it was in regards to homosexuality, the first place my mind went to was Romans 1, hmm. right? So, yep. you, you yep. go to Romans 1, and, and Paul is talking about how, um, how God has handed them over. In fact, uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 24, um, talking about leading up to that, how, uh, how man has rejected God despite what's been revealed to man about God. It says, verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Um, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator mm. who is blessed forever. Amen. And then verse 26, the second stage, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. That is very clear. That is crystal clear. So, sometimes people say that the word homosexuality doesn't actually show up, and the times that it shows up, it's being mistranslated. Well, that's being described very clearly right there, and Paul is pointing to this as God's judgment uh, upon a society that has rejected God. So, when I think about this passage, it is very crystal clear that homosexuality is not just a sin, but it, it ends up being really the sign that that a society has been handed over um, to, to judgment, and, and we as the church need to stand strong in that. Now, what makes it even worse when I talk about how J.D. Greer and Ed Litton um, said that the Bible, you should whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and they were talking about homosexuality. It wasn't just that they said that, but they said that as they were, quote-unquote, expositing this passage. So, this passage, which I think is crystal clear, um, they uh, essentially downplayed it. Um, and so, I think that's, that's a travesty. But yeah, right, right here, we, we see it very, very clearly that the sin that, that ends up getting revealed as being the, the sign of God's judgment is indeed uh, more sexual perversion. Yeah. And, you know, it's very interesting. The argument that the word homosexuality doesn't appear in the text is it's really a foolish argument uh, because you wouldn't say that when someone's translating things between English and Spanish or Afrikaans in English or, you know, uh, Russian to Chinese. You understand that how, how words work. But somehow when we get to the Bible, it's like, oh, well, 
uh, homosexuality is not in there. Okay, fine. Well, actually, yeah, the word is sodomite. So let's just start using that word. Um, they, they, they won't like that either. Yeah. But what we're talking about is what we know in the English language as homosexuality, right? Um, and, and what I love about this passage is it removes all of those questions because it describes the act. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, now, this passage is very interesting because, especially in light of, and I don't want to talk too much about J.D. Greer and Ed Litton. Ed Litton said that because he, uh, you know, plagiarized a sermon by J.D. Greer. But anyway, um, if you're talking about this passage and you try to downplay that and say that God's whispered about it, um, well, one, you probably shouldn't be preaching if you really believe that about this passage because, as you've said, not only. Not only is it clearly sinful, it is actually an indication of God's wrath being yeah. poured out on a people. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just even that it's a sin, but it's an evidence of God's active wrath being poured out. I mean, he turned them over to their lust. He describes it, um, you know, men burning with desire for other men. We understand what that means. Same thing with the women. And so it, if it's not whispering about anything. It's screaming about the wickedness of this sin. Um, and so, and that's not the only other passage. I mean, let's just visit a few of them. First um, Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, let me just read that. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And now he's going to name a list of some of those unrighteous neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, and it goes on. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, the majority in that first uh, verse 9 there, all but one are actually sexual perversions, Um, right? But clearly... uh, separates i mean he names fornicators as something separate he names adulterers as something separate he names effeminate and so a lot of times you'll hear someone say something like well it's really just talking about pederasty which is basically just pedophilia um that's what it's talking about okay well i i would agree that effeminate would include that but then it goes on to name homosexuality in addition to that yeah and so there can be no confusion. Um, and, and Paul starts here uh, by naming all of these um, characterizations as being those who are unrighteous. And then he gives the good news that even if you are one of those people, in fact, here he says, some of you were. And yep. so there's hope of being saved out of this, uh, right? And so every, every place we look at this, we see that one, it's sinful, two, it is often a sign of God's wrath on a nation. And three, it's something that we need to be saved from. And so I don't, I don't know how anyone could really honestly justify um, the sin of homosexuality. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. I mean, Paul says, um, such were some of you. So the idea is that they weren't just converted and simply proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord, but they changed their ways. They, they changed their, their manner of living. And, and Paul here is, is reminding them of those truths. Um, even when you think about the Old Testament, when we think about, you mentioned Sodomite. Well, that comes from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah back in the book of Genesis. Well, guess what happened to those two cities? Um, they were directly destroyed by God. 
from heaven. And in fact, um, if I'm not mistaken, those are the only two cities that were destroyed directly from heaven by God. Typically, he uses uh, nations or his people or, or other instruments to bring about that kind of destruction. But not only that, but I mentioned the book of Judges and how you have generation after generation of Israelites that got worse and worse and worse. Well, guess what happens at the that, that the last generation of the judges, in, uh, by the time you get to Judges chapter 19, guess what they're doing? They're committing the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then they end up uh, on the verge of civil war against each other. And then when you get to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was the prophet uh, in Judah um, at the time that uh, the exile began. So the northern kingdom of, um, of, of, uh, of Israel was exiled first, then the southern kingdom. Isaiah was the prophet when that northern kingdom was taken away. And um, Isaiah, right from the beginning, Isaiah chapter 1, he the, the Lord uses him to refer to the people of Israel, and uh, the Lord actually addresses them as you people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and so, while he doesn't mention the the, um, the the actual sins, I think those words are very clear as to what is going on. And uh, and so, in each of these examples, whether you go back to the original Sodom and Gomorrah, or whether you look at uh, the very last um, generation of uh, of the judges before God sent Samuel and then turned things around, or if you look at the time of Isaiah, you, you see the same thing. It's a downward spiral of sin. And then I tell you what, sin always starts with idolatry, and idolatry is often, not every single time, but it is often tied together with sexual immorality. And so, you mentioned fornication, um, adulterers, um, just as sinful, just as wicked. You, yep. you know, so, we, yep. we, we look at all of those things and we recognize that really when it comes to sexual immorality, this, this turns into a door that gets slammed, that, that gets pushed wide open to all kinds of other sexual deviations. You mentioned pedophilia, and we know that there are active movements to try to legitimize pedophilia. Yeah, so that's yeah. actually underway. And so you know, I've talked to people that, um, that have connect, been connected to the transgender community who conceded that, yeah, pedophilia is a, it's an issue in their community. You know, and that's that's terrible, right? And and we see how these young kids are, are being celebrated for being around other transgender people or you know homosexuals, and and they're dressed in ways that you wouldn't allow your daughter to dress that way. But for some reason, because they're gay or because they're trans, you you say it's okay. Yeah. You know, so so we have all kinds of unequal standards, and 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 really, it's just once again we we see the depravity of man on display. And especially in how we express ourselves um, sexually. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, the effeminate in that passage would cover things like transsexuality as well, right? Um, that in and of its sense, uh, in and of itself, is, is a perversion. But it it never just stops with that. It, it just the the deviant nature just increases. Um, it, it's interesting, you know. I mean, we have this all throughout Scripture. You go to the Book of Jude. Um, and Jude gets to the point where he is reminding uh, the people of God about things that uh, have happened in the past. And in verse 5, he says, Now I remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And then it's interesting because he lists two other groups of people to remind them about God's wrath and his holiness. And this is in the context of warning people about false believers in the church, right? And he says, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned 
their proper abode, and so God destroyed them. He locked them up, right? Uh, eternal bonds under darkness. Now, that is, I, I believe that he's speaking about something that was sexually improper. Um, it, we, we won't get all into the, the angels, but, I, but that's there. And then the very next one is referencing Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, just yeah. as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way, indulged in gross immorality and yeah. went after strange flesh. And that's very interesting because one of the arguments that I have heard more than once is that as ridiculous as it is, is that Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't destroyed because of sexual morality. They were destroyed because of a lack of hospitality. Yeah. I've heard uh, that. Well, but Jude makes it very clear. They were destroyed because they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Yeah. Nothing to do with hospitality. Um, but let's just go to that passage, right? So we're looking at Genesis 19. Uh, 1 through 13, uh, Sodom. So we know the story, but we'll just remind folks, uh, two angels come to Sodom. Uh, Lot meets them. He convinces them to come stay in his house. And so you get down to, let me just look here. Um, Let's see, verse 6, I think, 6, 7. Right, you've got, okay, so there are men who, come to the door, and they're asking uh, for these angels, right, um, who turned into his house, and they're basically saying, bring them out to us because we want to have sexual relations. We want to know them. Uh, we want to have relations with them, and the word there is undeniably the same word for n- a husband knowing his wife, like Cain, right. uh, or sorry, Adam knew Eve, uh, you know, and had Cain and Abel, that kind of thing. And it's interesting um, that has nothing to do with hospitality, and to, just to go on further, Lot's response, which, to be honest, I think was dumb, was, well, let me give you my daughters, my virgin daughters, and you can mm-hmm. do to them what you want, but leave yeah. these men alone. Uh, I, I don't know how you can make an argument about hospitality. It's very clear. Yeah. Um, and then what makes it worse as further proof of the depravity of of their homosexuality, their sexual perversion, was that so the angels end up blinding these men, right? They're pushing against Lot. They're trying to break into his home. So the angels with Lot blinded these men. Now, instead of fleeing in terror, they're still trying to find the door to Lot's yeah. house. Yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 that ought to cause us to see the depths of the wickedness and depravity of sexual perversion and homosexuality. Not even did a miraculous blinding. I mean, if you were doing something and, and instantaneously you were blind, you, you think you would stop doing whatever it is you're doing, but they didn't. Uh, they they continued on. And so, of course, we know the rest of the story. Um, the city was destroyed and the neighboring city uh, of Gomorrah as well for their sexual perversion. Um, right. Yeah, that's uh, and even Paul, when he described that in Romans one, what we just read, what did Paul write? He said they gave up the natural function. Okay, he doesn't he doesn't describe hospitality. There's nothing in those verses that describe hospitality. Now, 
Could you argue that they're, they're, they were also inhospitable? Oh, sure you could. But that's, not, that, that's only part of the picture here. And when Paul says they gave up the natural function, that, that implies a couple of things. One, there is a natural function that God designed um, into us as male and female. Um, but number two, to give up that natural function um, is basically to reject the way God has made us and, and to go after um, what Jude ends up to describing as strange flesh. And Jude, we understand, was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And many have argued that, well, Jesus never said anything directly about, uh, about homosexuality. Well, he didn't speak about it directly, but he mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. He does mention Sodom and Gomorrah, but then he also mentions that um, th- those who have rejected him are even going to face a, an even greater judgment than, than Sodom and Gomorrah. But by recognizing Sodom and Gomorrah, everyone understands what is being said there. And he also did um, talk about sexual immorality, at least in terms of husband and wife, and talk about the the um, the uh, that the laws of divorce um, and, and why M- Moses in his day gave a certificate of divorce. But I often say when you read through the New Testament, um, you, you have the... New Testament history in the four gospel books and the book of Acts. That's five books of history. And when you read these words of Jesus Christ and his teachings, um, we don't always get the details of how they're applied. Jesus makes a lot of statements. We don't always see exactly how they're applied. But then we have all the epistles that do show us how they're applied. So if you ever want to see the wisdom of Jesus Christ from the gospels applied into the life of the church, that's what the epistles are for. Uh, And so the disciples of Jesus Christ and and people like Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, basically what they're writing is the wisdom that they have learned from Jesus Christ applied uh, to the church and, and to threats of the church. And that's what we see there in the book of Jude. Well, and here's an interesting fact, too. When you think about uh, how Jude referenced all of those things, because he goes on and references other things. He references Korah and a whole bunch of uh, other incidences uh, that happened in history. The expectation is that they knew exactly what he was talking about because he gave no details. Right. And so when he said uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and talked about them uh, being in immorality and going after strange flesh, the expectation was that they knew exactly why Sodom and Gomorrah um, was yeah. destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus would have had that same expectation. Right. I mean, how often did Jesus say things like, did, did you not read? Yeah. Uh, are, are you a teacher and you do not know? I mean, the expectation mm-hmm. is that you should know, and they did. Um, and so there's no explanation in Jude. Those were commonly known um, historical facts. And so, but on and on, uh, Paul goes through. And so my, my point of bringing these other things up is we have, we have clear text in the Old Testament. We have clear text in the New Testament. I've heard people talk about, well, Paul's the only one that talks about homosexuality. We've dealt with that already clearly. Um, but, uh, you know, in another passage, First Timothy, um, right, First Timothy uh, 8 through 11, you get down to verse 10, and he's talking about um, you know, realizing the fact that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious for ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. And then he goes on to make a list for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. So here it is again to Timothy. Uh, And so we have Genesis, we have Leviticus, we have Romans, we have Corinthians, we have Timothy, we have Jude. um, And that's certainly not the only places, but um, it's filled you know, the scripture is filled with very clear statements. Right. Um, and, and 
just so that no one got hung up on a word, God in his sovereignty described the act for us, right, in an appropriate way, um, that men are given over to their lust, burning with, you know, for one another and that sort of thing. Um, Leviticus, uh, I think you, did you reference Leviticus 18 earlier? Maybe you shall not, or maybe we didn't, but here's another one, Leviticus 18, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. Right. It is an abomination. Right. And he goes on to name other sexual perversions. Yeah, um, that's and that's not that that's not hospitality. Um, that, not that's, hospitality. Yeah, right. That that is talking about um, sexual relations. And, and even when we think about the qualifications for elders and deacons. Right. I mean, um, elders are to be a husband of one wife. The same with deacons. Um, you, you don't see a partner of one person. Right, which is uh, sometimes the argument that's made. Well, you know, and I think it's um, Pete Buttigieg that will talk about how he and his partner they're they're monogamous and they're dedicated oh. to one another, and that is glorifying to God. And really, the key is to be um, to be faithful. Um, well, that that's there's no room for that um, in the words um, that that Paul writes in terms of the qualifications for for elders and deacons. And even when you go back to the words of Jesus Christ, when he talks about the certificate of divorce and and um, kind of the, um, the, the marriage covenant, um, it's already understood that the marriage covenant goes all the way back to Genesis, and it's for a man and a woman. And in fact, even from the design of God, and when I preach on this topic this coming Sunday, this is where I'm going to start. I'm going to go right back to the beginning, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. God created men, and he created them male and female. Female, and he created them with the purpose to procreate. Well, how were they going to procreate? Well, they would procreate through the institution of marriage, and that would be shown at the end of chapter two, where uh, where man and woman would come together and be one flesh. And it was to be in that one flesh relationship that procreation was to occur. And and here's the thing, and I've said this before, um, I'll, I'll say it again. This is so important. If you understand that God created us male and female, if you understand that the call was to procreate and fill the the earth, and that procreation only happens through the marriage covenant, and that anything outside of that is immoral, if you understand that, the positions that you are supposed to take as a believer become crystal clear. Yeah. So, so all, all this, all the jargon and all the noise and all the complicated arguments and and the, the twistings of scripture goes away when you start with that starting point. And, and if you if you stick to that, then you, you can you know the abortion discussion goes away, right? Because the the vast majority of abortions are, are from people outside of a, a wedding relationship, out of a marriage relationship. Um, the homosexuality um, discussion goes away because sexual relations is only between a man and a woman, right? So, a lot of the problems that we're dealing with in the society goes away. Now, the other thing, and this kind of ties into what we said before, um, that what we're seeing is really a result of God's judgment handing people over. But in the rise and fall of nations, when you go through the history and you look at the rise and fall of nations, um, it's when the nation is at its peak of hedonism. And by hedonism, the, these fleshly pleasures, just, just pursuing our own pleasures. And, and hedonism is always, always characterized by sexual immorality. I mean, it's not just that, but that's always a major, yeah. major component of that. And, and that leads to the downfall of a nation because people are really just getting lost in their sin and they're no longer as interested in doing what is good for society, let alone what is good in the eyes of God. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you were talking about how people like Pete Buttigieg say, well, it's really just about 
uh, having a monogamous relationship. Um, well, before I go there, let me comment on the Genesis thing. I mean, so here, it, you know, here we have God who's just made man, right, Adam, and uh, there isn't any other creature at the moment uh, that's like man. There's just a male. And God looks at him and he says, it's not good for this male to be alone. I'm going to make him a companion. God could have made another male. He could have made anything else he wanted to make, but he didn't. He made a female. He made Eve, right? And, and said, this is good. Um, and, and that's important. Uh, it, there's, you know, we often hear jokes about God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve, but it's yeah. really true because here's God looking at a man and saying, okay, in, in God's perfect wisdom and sovereignty, he could have made a companion of any sort for man, but what he made was a female. Uh, and so you're right, absolutely. If we get Genesis right, we actually we don't have to know uh, any Greek. You don't have to know fancy words. You don't have to know modern right. psychology. You don't even have to know uh, what someone else is talking about if what they're saying goes against what you understand of creation, you can just simply say that's wrong and it's sinful and it's against God's way. Um, and, and so you're right. It, we start at Genesis. It really, um, we really wouldn't have to go through kind of all of the apologetic hoops of dealing with words like pederasty or effeminate or any of that. Uh, but again, outside of that, I think the fact that scripture is so clear when we have passages like you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. Um, yeah. When it's that clear, then I, I think we ought to be convinced of the doctrine of total depravity and the fact that men just want to justify their sinfulness and their wickedness and their perversion, because you cannot misunderstand something so clear as that. Uh, so I read from Leviticus 18, he repeats it again two chapters later in Leviticus 20. It says almost the same thing. If there is a man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. That's God's view of homosexuality, of sexual perversion. You can't mistake that, yeah. um, the, the sinfulness of that. And uh, uh, let me read a few stats, brother, unless you want to jump in before I get there, because you talked about Pete Buttigieg. Uh, yeah. Jump in and I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. You know, there's um, there's a saying that, uh, you know, I hear a lot of Christians say this and it's true in one sense and not true in another sense. Um, we often say all sin is the same. All sin is equal. And that's true in the sense that all sin um, and, and any individual sin separates us from God. It, it proves us to be sinners. Um, it, it makes us uh, worthy of, of judgment, of, of the eternal judgment in, in the lake of fire. And, and yet, um, all sins are not the same in the sense that when we look even at the Old Testament, not all sins were punishable by stoning or execution. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at the Old Testament, you see that this indeed is punishable by stoning and execution. And there are other sins that we tend to 
overlook, like disobeying your parents, right? That's also um, that that's also worthy of stoning and execution. But for instance, accidental manslaughter, you know, manslaughter that's uh, that's not premeditated. There are actually laws meant to protect people in order to make sure they get a fair trial um, to to be able to determine whether it was intended um, or not. So we see that even in those laws, they're they're not handled all the same. There's different yeah. severities in terms of the sins that are committed. The other thing is that when we think about Genesis and what we talked about from Genesis, Genesis precedes the nation of Israel. It precedes the Mosaic law. Um, it, it, it's rooted in creation. And so, in that sense, there's a lot of people today that say, well, we as Christians, we're just trying to force our religion upon other people. Well, marriage as an institution is, a, is an institution of common grace to all people. Then that was given by God from from the very beginning. Now, does that mean I want to, you know, go all out and, and force everyone to make sure they observe that marriage is only between man and woman? Well, in a civil sense, look, this is not a theocratic nation. Um, when the when we have an opportunity to vote. We vote. We vote according to our convictions. We vote according to what the scriptures say. Uh, we should be faithful to what the scriptures say. But we recognize that, you know what, um, this is not a theocratic nation. This is not the nation of Israel. Even if a Christian were to stand in that position of a president, it still would not make this a Christian nation, per se. Um, and, and so we, we, have to, we have to be thoughtful about how we interact uh, with the public while at the same time standing upon the, the truth that we know is given to us from God's word. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, even within that, we, we still have to recognize that God's truth and his expectations transcends whatever uh, form of government our particular country holds to. Um, you know, and, and I know saying what I'm going to say may get me in trouble with some people. As much as I love the Constitution, the Constitution is a fallen man-made document, and it's subservient uh, to God's word. And so, if uh, let's for say, let, let's just say, for instance, if there was a ratification, if there was an amendment in the Constitution that included something specifically against Scripture like homosexuality, then guess what? Um, our Constitution would be in defiance against a holy God. And, and so I think in America, uh, even in the Christian church, that's not um, – there are those Christian churches who – Really and truly, I think they, they, they replace the worship of God with the worship of state and the Republican Party. There are definitely some of those out there. Yeah. Um, but to, to bring it back a little bit, as Christians, we have our own constitution, as it were, yeah. and it's in the form of a book we call the Bible. Um, and that supersedes everything else. And, and right. we have to view things through that lens. And we also have to rec recognize that we're just in one country. There are a lot of countries in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are still sovereign nations. There are still countries ruled by kings uh, in our world today, and they function differently. And the only consistency we can have in the world is scripture, because uh, the scripture applies to nations that have a sovereign ruler, and the scriptures apply to a republic like ours. Um, and so, yes, we don't, we can't, we shouldn't as a nation um, force people to believe in Christianity. You can't do that. But, but we can't do that not because of our constitution, right? right? right. We can't do that because it's against scripture. Mm -hmm. right? That's got to be the <clears throat> mandate. But I can say um, that uh, I'm not going to link arms with a Muslim. I'm not going to fight for the building of a mosque. I'm not going to say it's okay to believe in another religion 
because you know that is that would be to condemn them to hell yeah. uh, and and so we want to reach out we've kind of gotten off topic a little bit there but um it, it, we were talking about how in some sense, homosexuality is not the same as other sins, and, and it's not. Let me just go to First Corinthians chapter six and verse eighteen. It says, "Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body." Mm. So, Scripture itself actually. Um, makes a distinction in regards to sexual immorality. It makes the distinction. It attacks the very fabric of creation of men and women, the being in the image of God for the reason we were made. Um, And and beyond that, you're actually, it's a different type of sin, right? You're sinning against your own body. And then beyond that, it's the, and you can correct me, but I don't think there's any other sin I can think of in scripture that God's wrath is indicated by a turning over to um, mm. th- than the sin of sexual immorality. So it is not the same as other sins in those ways. Um, and scripture brings that out. And so we're not saying that it's uh, the unforgivable sin. We started with that, right? Yeah. Um, but, but just for those folks that feel like, well, you're just picking on one sin, you're making it sound different. Well, God says it's different. Um, we address it the same way as everything else, but um, let, let, let me jump back to the Pete Buttigieg thing because I've heard Christians uh, mention this, uh, professing Christians, we'll say it that way, uh, as well as the secular world. Well, as long as you're in a monogamous relationship. Uh, well, one, based on the statistics, I would question whether that's true or not, but let me just give you a few of those statistics. So, these are on promiscuity within the homosexual community um, from various sources. These are easy to find doing a Google search from actual um, uh, stats out there. 28%, now this was done back in September 11th. These were compiled, okay? Uh, September, sorry, 2011. I imagine they're far worse now. 28% of homosexual men had more than 1,000 partners. Uh, Yeah. 83% of homosexual men surveyed estimated that they had sexual relations with 50 or more partners. 43% said they had sexual relations with more than 500 partners. There's no way you can look at those statistics. Now, that was from one set. Let let me read another. Another uh, from another source said 79% of homosexual men say that over half of their sex partners are strangers. Yeah. Right. Um, the modal range for homosexual partners. And so that's, if you take all the averages together, right. Is a hundred to 500 partners per person. Um, in 19- yeah, that, and th- th- that is far beyond heterosexual, even sinners that are immoral. Um, far, we, we don't far see beyond. Yeah, we don't see those kinds of numbers. And you may remember back uh, back in the day, there there used to be the bathhouses in in San Francisco, where that was the whole point. You just get together with uh, with any strangers that that, that you like. Um, that was that was a feature of that city. Um, and, and yeah, so w- we see the difference between. 
um, heterosexuals living in immorality and homosexuals living in immorality. And, and there, there's an exponential difference in terms of the number of partners and the strangers that they engage with, and, and also the level of pedophilia that is found in these communities as well. Um, goes above and beyond um, that outside of the that that community. Yeah, and you know, and so for the guys who want to argue the the kind of monotonous uh, a monogamous relationship, I mean, so what the last stat I want to give is among homosexual males in their current relationship, only four and a half percent claim to be to have sexual fidelity with one partner. Four point five percent. So, I mean, what, what does all that tell you? Well, okay, so we understand Scripture is crystal clear. Homosexuality is an abomination. It's evil. It's detestable in the sight of the Lord. Um, we have that from Scripture. We understand that actually it is different than other sins. Scripture makes that distinction. And now we come and we see that actually, if we look at the statistics, um, it's not about love, or a relationship. It is yeah. about the desire yes. for sex. Yes. It is all centered around that. And at 4.5%, even if that stat is off, you know, give or take on either side, whatever, um, y- you can see that, you know, very few are even concerned with a monotonous thing. And so it is a perverse, lustful desire that drives them. Um, and, and so there's nothing good, there's nothing healthy, there's nothing loving that comes out of this kind of lifestyle. All of that is a farce. It's all nothing more basically than propaganda when the world says, oh, well, we're loving. Um, well, this is my monotonous partner. I, I, I doubt that that's true, according to the statistics. Um, y- your relationship is, is just based on sinful, fleshly lust. And our society is trying to force that on everyone else. And the only way that they can really do that is to use terms that we would agree with, like love, yeah. like care, yeah. uh, like marriage. But there's no such thing as a homosexual marriage. They're, they're just in a perverted sexual relationship. God doesn't recognize that. Yeah. And, and um, even when the marriage debate was on, and, and that was a while ago, um, there were a lot of gay people living in, quote unquote, kind of domestic, uh, domestic relationships, right? So they, they had a lot of the same benefits of people who were married, but they wanted that marriage title to be applied to them, which is ironic now because we have more and more people that are just forsaking the marriage covenant altogether yeah. and saying that they don't even want to talk about marriage and whatnot. So we, we have a lot of confusion, but I think also of Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God, we're told that we have to put on the armor of God in order to protect ourselves from the various schemes of Satan. And what you describe, these are just schemes of Satan. It's it's wordplay. It's it's making words that have traditionally meant one thing and turning it into another. Love is one of those words that have been greatly hijacked from the way scriptures use it, that the scriptures use it to, compared to what we use it for today. Because today it's now, it's about feelings, emotions, how I feel. And of course, with children, we, we know that there's an increase of um, sex ed, a quote unquote sex ed training, where Planned Parenthood has been getting involved, um, encouraging children to explore their sexuality. And, uh, and and even in Los Angeles, at one time, they had planned, and I don't know if they completed this, they probably did, but they had planned to set up 50 Planned Parenthood centers right on the campuses of high schools with the idea that kids, you know, they do their sexual experimentation. If they have an unwanted consequence, they can go right to the Planned Parenthood center right on campus without even getting uh, parental per- consent or 
permission wow. um, to be able to do what they're doing. Um, so, so yeah, th- this is all the scheme of Satan trying to normalize um, what we have once seen as abnormal or deviant or or simply immoral. And and again, that's just the moving of the goalposts. And and society is becoming darker and darker in, in how they view these sins. They're now not only accepting them, but they're celebrating them. That Romans 1, at the end of Romans 1, says that, that they not only, um, they, they know what God says, but they not only disobey, but they celebrate those who do the same thing. And, and that's that's the world that we're in right now. And, uh, and so, for the Christian, we have to realize that standing on the truth, it's not going to be popular. Um, you're going to be mocked. You're going to be, um, you're going to have hateful things said about you. Um, you're going to be accused of all kinds of things that are not true. They're going to say that you're violent and this and that. And we as Christians, we have to remember too, when I talk about um, Ephesians 6, Paul also says our, our our war is not against flesh and blood, yeah. right? We battle not flesh and, and blood, but we, we battle the, the spirits and the principalities and the dominions and all that. That's the spiritual realm. And so, we have to understand that those who are caught up and lost in this world of sin, it's the depravity of man. And the only thing that can rescue man out of his depravity is the gospel, yeah. And so, yeah. for those who are homosexuals who are caught in this world, we, we need to love on them and to be able to bring them the, the word of truth and help them to know their, their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and only by them uh, proclaiming and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord can they receive a, a new heart, a new nature, where we receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit to have their minds and hearts illuminated to the truth of Scripture. And so we 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 say all these things and we we emphasize this because it is indeed the 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 topic of of our age it's it's the one of the primary ways that the church is being attacked and yet we also want to realize that those who are caught up in these sins they need the truth and they need it yeah. to be given to them with love kindness and reverence. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's really the point for the Christian, right? We are supposed to be those who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There can never be um, a group of people where we decide they don't need the gospel or that we hate them um, or that we want to just do away with them. That's the world's way. You know, you look in American culture and we have this huge division that's just getting larger and larger between political parties who hate each other. Um, and and certainly there are things that as Christians we absolutely can't support. But those people, well, Paul says such were some of you, yeah. right? Such were some of us. Um, and so our heart ought to yearn to see them come to the truth of the gospel. But you need to tr- know the truth yourself. Right, you've got to be able to call sin sin, um, yeah. and and that has to be the starting place. And so, for the, for the Christians who are like, well, you know, we see what's happening in Canada. Maybe that's going to happen here. I think it most certainly is going to happen here. It's just a matter of when. Um, what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is if we're going to love these people and not just homosexuals, but sinners in general, general is we've got to be willing to say no. Um, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead, and you're on the way to hell. Um, but, and and we share the gospel with them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got to be able to start there because the moment you minimize their sin or remove the fact that it's sin, well, then you no longer need a savior. 
Uh, and so when we're talking about homosexuals, it's going to get hard here. In fact, in some places, it's already hard. And individuals may certainly still face the ramifications of saying homosexuality is sin in, in our country, uh, even though it's not illegal yet. Um, but if we really love the homosexual who's trapped in their sin, then we need to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts with the fact that they are a sinner against a holy God, right? We start there so they recognize yep. their sin. Right. And then we tell them, you know, of God who sent his son to die on the cross for us, right? That those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who believe in their heart, who understand that they are sinners before a holy God and they need salvation and they put their faith and trust in Christ, that they'll be, God is faithful to save them uh, out of their sin, then it, that, that's the message we've got to give people. We've got to give them the gospel. We shouldn't uh, put walls up and say, right. well, just to hell with them, as it were. And mm -hmm. we do that every time um, we minimize their sin. I mean, it, it would be, I mean, really, for those uh, professing believers who say, well, no, it's okay to be um, you know, a, a gay Christian, um, really, they're going to be, they're going to have blood guiltiness on their hands, um, right? Because they're creating a stumbling block to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, they're, they're basically saying it's okay to be an unrepentant uh, Christian. Um, but we see even from Jesus' ministry, um, the call to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so our life should be a testimony of repentance. It doesn't mean we're perfect doesn't mean we don't uh, stumble in, in our sins and, and, and have seasons of, of struggle and, and whatnot, but we are always uh, looking at the, the, the goal, which is Christ-likeness. Um, we are always aiming for um, greater um, holiness in our walk. We're aiming for um, a less sin and, and more devotion to, to God. So, we, um, you know, the same gospel that saves homosexuals is the same gospel that saves heterosexuals is the same gospel that can save anyone regardless of what their yeah. sin background is. Uh, but we are focusing on homosexuality because that is the, uh, that, that's the place where I believe the church is um, being most pressured to change. And some, many, I should say, have compromised on that. Yeah. And so, I think we would both agree and say, you know, one, be bold and call homosexuality a sin because the Bible says that. And then two, be bold and share the gospel with those, remembering that such were some of us, right? Um, I, I'm preaching through Ephesians right now, and you preached through Ephesians, I think the last book you were in. And it's incredible. You get to chapter two, and the Apostle Paul is really trying to help the church understand what is the greatness, the surpassing greatness of God's power. And it goes through this whole long list uh, kind of of the state that we were in, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins comes out yeah. of that chapter. And his whole point is to remind us the depths of our depravity and wickedness so that we would see the greatness of God's redeeming power in our salvation. And so when we stand boldly against homosexuality, um, we should do it keeping in mind that those are the very people that God came to save, yep. not just the homosexual, but the sinners. Um, and, and so we need to approach them lovingly, and we do that by calling them to repentance in the right spirit, um, not prideful and arrogant because we were just like them, and we're still not perfect. It's just Amen. God's redeeming uh, grace. Anything to Amen add to that, brother? Amen. 
No, that's uh, amen and amen. I, I think uh, we've we've said um, all that we probably need to say on, on this topic. Um, just uh, for all those who are listening, uh, stand firm on this truth, but uh, don't forget that the gospel is what everyone needs. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. I hope this is helpful. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.